before we jump in, I want to, so my name is David. Um, my wife, my wife's name is Stephanie, okay? Steffi is what she goes by. Uh, she is awesome. We actually met in Salt Company as freshmen, so my story has a lot of Salt DNA in it. Uh, we actually had a daughter three weeks ago named Indy, Indy Mave. She's awesome. She's fantastic. She's beautiful. We've got to, we've got to, <laughs> thank you so much for clapping. I did very little, but uh, my wife has, my wife did quite a bit. Uh, and I got a two and a half year old named Silas. And uh, we also have a dog named Arlo. Uh, that's, it's like a large dog, don't worry. Very fluffy, very cool. Um, but that's my family. And I love my family. And one of the things that's really interesting is Jesus is always talking to people about what they love. I don't know if you've noticed that. If you read the Bible. He's always kind of poking in at people and saying, hey, what do you value? What does your heart go after? And, and even like specifically, he always wants to talk to us about the thing we value most. I don't know if you've ever read the words of Jesus, but that comes up often. And actually the story tonight is about that. It's about what you value. And you could value a ton of different things. Like you could be in the crowd tonight and you could say like, man, the thing that is like most valuable to me, the thing I would kind of trade most everything in my life for is like this degree. And if I can get this degree and I can get this job, then I will feel like I have made it. I will justify my existence. And so like take my money, right? Take my time. Take even maybe like my desire for like friend groups. I'm going to say no to that. I'm going to be in the library. I want this thing. What is that for you? Or maybe you're like some dude, you're like a freshman, you met this girl at a party and you're like, dude, she's my soulmate. Like, I would give up everything for her. Like, I'm telling you, like, I saw her and I knew she's it. What is it for you? Something in your life that you don't say, this has value to me, but something that you would actually say, this has like the most value. Like, take everything else in my life but this thing, because this is the thing I value more than anything else. The story Jesus wants to tell us tonight is about that. What do you value most? Because actually the thing, the way you answer that question is actually, I think, the thing that most defines who you are and what you're about. Not just what hobbies do you have, not just what your GPA is, not just what you're into, but actually like the thing that you're saying, I would trade everything in my life for this, I would say that is the thing that tells me the most about who you actually are. And so this is a story... Jesus tells about the kingdom of heaven. And so, Matthew 13, 44 through 45, listen to this. This is Jesus. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure that's been hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered up, and then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Pretty short story, right? But then he tells another one. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is, it's like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Two simple stories, right? Same basic idea. And that's the whole text tonight. We're not going to, we're not going to like keep reading. It's just like, that's it. This is the story Jesus has given us about what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like. So what do we learn from it? Well, the first thing I think we learn is that Jesus is saying, hey, there's something you need to know about the kingdom of heaven. And the first thing is that there's something hidden about it, which is kind of interesting. It's a treasure hidden in a field, right? It's, it's a merchant who's like in search of something, right? It's not immediately obvious. And so one of the very first things that Jesus wants to teach us about the kingdom of heaven is that there's actually something about it that makes it hard to see. It makes it hard to see means it's not obvious. It's hidden. And the reason for this is because the kingdom of God is actually not what you would expect. And as the people who study the Bible, like theologians, they have basically a way of talking about this. They call it the kind of upside-down kingdom. Like, it's upside-down, and it's upside-down because the values and the priorities of the kingdom of God, they are the complete opposite values and priorities of the world that we live in. And Jesus explains it like this, right? He says, actually, in God's kingdom, here's something that's true. In God's kingdom, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Have you ever heard Jesus say that, right? It's like a common Christian thing. But that's a crazy thing to say. Like, what's first in this world is last in the kingdom of heaven. That's a wild thing. The things that make you rich and great in this world are actually the very things that make you poor and small in God's kingdom. 
And so we value gold and jewels, but God uses those things to pave his streets, right? And some of us look at that and we're like, my gosh, this dude must have so much money. And it's like, no, no, no. That's probably part of it, but it's also he's mocking us, right? Like the things that we love, he's like, hey, that's my asphalt up here. We value independence. We value self-determination. But Jesus says that in order to enter the kingdom of God, you actually have to become like a little child. And where the world values status and power and prestige and wealth, it's actually those who are poor in spirit who are blessed in the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus is constantly taking the things of the world, he's flipping them on their heads, the things that we value and treasure. He says those opposite things are actually true. And in our upside-down world, it's actually really hard to see Jesus' right-side-up kingdom. So that's one of the reasons the kingdom of God's hidden. But the other reason in the Bible we see that the kingdom of God is hidden is because it isn't fully here yet. And this is actually interesting because when the Bible talks about the kingdom of God, he isn't talking about a specific place or location as much as it's talking about the rule and reign of God over his creation. When the Bible talks about the kingdom, it talks about a world where God is king, where all that is wrong has been made right, where all that is broken is healed. And the Bible says that the kingdom of God is actually a place where every tear is wiped away from our eyes, where evil is no more, and where even like death, like the great enemy of the human race, has actually been defeated. It's a pretty stunning picture. And the reason the Bible says that all this is true is because once again, the one who's seated on the throne is good. Because God is on the throne. And his good rule and reign will overturn all the evil and pain that marks our world. And actually, this is like the picture that the Bible gives us at the end of the story. Recreation. But when Jesus begins his ministry, he starts by saying something crazy. He says, actually, the kingdom of heaven, this kind of crazy vision of the future, that's actually at hand. Meaning the kingdom of God isn't just something that's in the future. It's actually something that like, is, is today. It's now. It's, it's here. Because what Jesus is doing was he was bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And so we have this future reality that's coming. And today is currently breaking into our world. Right, and you see this with the miracles of Jesus, right? I don't know if you noticed this, but like when people who had things that were broken about them were around Jesus, they weren't broken anymore, right? People who were like, I've seen every single doctor in town, no one can fix me. They touch the edge of Jesus' robe and they're healed. People who can't walk right, like they stand up and leave for joy. Like something about Jesus was taking this future perfect, perfect world and bringing it to the present. You also have the salvation of sinners, right? This like perfect rule and reign over creation begins to take hold in individuals' hearts. People become obedient to God and his plan for them instead of continuing on our own path that actually distorts our humanity and causes us pain in the end. And so God's kingdom is coming, but it's currently breaking into our world. But what's true is that it's not here yet. And that makes it hard to see. One of the ways I describe this is it's like a storm front, right? And I've actually, it's funny, we've been talking about this a little bit, Doxa, but who's like been in like a really epic storm? Okay, raise your hand. Like really, like in the mountains in Colorado, like a, one of the, a bad one. Right, this is what happens. I remember me and my friend Joe, we were climbing. Um, I'm a climber, and we, we were... We were like on this multi-pitch route climbing up this hill, okay? So we're like, we're climbing up this thing. We're about 600 feet off the deck. And we start to feel this like really cold rush of wind. And you can't see in Colorado. You can't see over the mountains. So you don't know what's coming. And so you actually start to feel there is a storm coming. And we know that we are like climbing way past in the afternoon time. We're supposed to be off the mountain. And like if we're up there when the storm comes, we are probably going to struck by lightning and probably going to die. So we start climbing like very quickly and we're like, we got to get out, we got to get out. So we get to the very top of this cliff. We eventually get over and we realize that we are on like one mountain right here where this cold front is whipping through. And then one mountain right to the left of us is this like incredible lightning storm that is like destroying this mountain. Like it's covered, it's like a scene from the Lord of the Rings. Like it's literally covered in darkness and it looks like there's like fire and stuff and there's not. But it's like lightning. I mean, it's crazy. And I remember sitting there and we are like, oh my gosh, like, We are not in that storm, but we can, like, feel its power from a distance. And that's what it's like to live in this world today. We can, like, begin to feel some of these things of the kingdom of God breaking into our lives, but it's not here yet. It's still hidden. The fullness is not here yet. And what that means is that actually the kingdom of God, this thing he's saying has value, It's hidden. And listen, I know I'm saying that word over and over again, but it's actually really important that you understand that. 
And as Jesus explains his kingdom, he says it's really important that you understand that. It's not something to move quickly past. Because you will look at the things of God, and you will look at the things of this world. And you're actually doing that today, in college, like during your first week of class. You're doing that right now. You're saying things of the world and the things of God. And there are going to be many, many times where the things that the world holds out to you look way more real and powerful and valuable. And the reason is because they're not hidden. They aren't hard to see, right? They aren't buried in a field. They're, they're plastered all over your Instagram and your social media feeds. They're shouted at you every day by your friends, your professors, by Netflix. The kingdom of this world isn't hidden. It's actually pressed down on you from the very moment you start taking oxygen in into this world. And it's not hard to orient your life towards these things. It's actually the stream that we're all born into. It's very, very easy. But the reason Jesus tells us this story is because he's saying, actually, it would be a really problematic thing if you lived for that kingdom instead of the kingdom I'm talking to you about. Because the kingdom I want to tell you about is a kingdom that has this unique kind of value. Okay, go back to the story. Look what Jesus says. I know it's short, but listen to what he says. This is crazy. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. And it's like, that's a short story, right? And so it could be easy for us to forget about it. And so he's like, okay, again, I'll explain it another way. It's like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, goes and sells all that he had and bought it. Here's what Jesus is saying. The kingdom that he's talking about, this reality where God is God, we are his people, we are in relationship with him. He's saying that kingdom is so valuable that it's actually worth you trading everything you own to have it. That's how valuable it is. And more than that, this is interesting. What he's saying is he's saying this is actually the natural response to anyone who finds it. I mean, think about how strange this story is. Like, I don't know if you do this, but when I read the Bible, I like laugh at it a little bit because it's funny. Like, these are funny stories. Like, this is a hilarious story. A dude is walking through a field. Okay, first of all, why? Why is he walking through a field? We get no context for that whatsoever. But this is a dude who's just walking through a field. And you have to figure, like, this dude probably trips on something, right? Like, he's not looking for it. He stumbles over it. He comes back. He's probably ticked off. It's like first day of school. He's wearing his new Nike. He's like, he scuffed him up. He comes back. What the heck's going on? And he starts pulling on this thing, right? And he goes, he's like, like, just getting this thing excavated from the earth. He pulls it out, figures out what this is. And here's his response. Puts it back in the ground, covers it up get some leaves, you know, cover some sticks, like does it up right, like I don't want anyone to find this. He hightails it home. He gathers all of his things, puts them on Facebook Marketplace. You're like, how many of his things? All the things, okay? All of them. The dude liquidates his bank account. He sells his season tickets, which are probably worth less after this last weekend. But he calls mom and dad, right? And he's like, hey, I know you talked about paying for four years of rent. I need that up front. And your mom's like, are you sure? That doesn't seem like a good idea. You're like, I'm sure, mom. Give me the money. Like, I need this. I don't have much time. And you take everything you own. You put it in a large sack. Or if you're a college student, a small sack. And you liquidate it all. And this represents everything you have. It represents in the store everything that defines you. And you give it up to buy the field, buy the single pearl. And this is a really simple story. But Jesus is trying to say something powerful with it, right? Because if this actually happened, like if you came home and your roommate was doing this, you would look at them and you would conclude one of two things. First thing you'd conclude probably is, my roommate is insane. He was a random roommate. I didn't know how this was going to go. It's gone very poorly, right? Like, this is a worst case scenario like he now owns nothing he's wearing my shorts like this is awkward they've lost their mind or what you would conclude is that whatever this person just found was actually something more valuable than everything else they had either they're crazy or but actually this thing was so valuable to them it wasn't just most valuable but actually it ended up being the thing that they had always been looking for because giving up everything you have is a massive, massive price to pay for anything. But giving up everything you have 
to get the thing you've been looking for your entire life is a really small price to pay to have that, right? And every one of you in the room, I know that. If I like would dig down in your heart and I would like un just excavate and figure out what is the thing that lies at the center of you, that you're like, I want this more than I want anything else in life. I know that if I was like trade everything for that, you'd be like, sure, <laughs> like have it. Like if I can just have that one thing. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, when you understand what the kingdom of God is like and the kingdom of heaven is like, that's the natural response to seeing that. And some of you, you're in the room and you actually, you grew up in church and you're like, I haven't had any experience like that at all. Like I went to church and it was like really boring. It wasn't that profound. Like I've read stories about Jesus and I'm kind of trying to figure out if I want anything to do with him at all. And one of the crazy things about this story is it's actually saying if that's the picture you have of Jesus, he's like, you may have been in the field, but you didn't stumble over the treasure. You may be someone who's like finding pearls, but you haven't actually found the thing Jesus is talking about yet. Because if you would, the natural response you would have is actually to sell everything you have to get a thing. This is how Paul, the Apostle Paul, talks about his life. Um, it's actually pretty amazing. This is what he says. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, meaning like just confidence in life, things that they have, I've got more, man. I was circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I know that means nothing to most of you, right? But this is like modern day rap lyrics, all right? This is like, I got it all. Like, he's just going down the list. Like, anything you want, I've got it. And this is what he says. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That's the Apostle Paul. He literally had everything in his life going for him. And when he met Jesus, he traded all of it for Christ. And this is a story Jesus is telling you. What's interesting about the story is that there's two totally different kinds of people, right? One is someone that it makes sense. They're looking for pearls. Like they, he's like, I've been looking for this my whole life. It makes sense that that person would trade everything for this. But the other person is a dude just wandering in the field, right? He wasn't looking for it. He stumbled on it. But immediately he trades everything for it. It isn't even a question. This is what happens when you see Jesus for who he is. And I mean that. This is what happens in your life when you actually see Jesus for who he is. What happens when you understand what the kingdom of God is like. It actually completely overwhelms everything in your life. That's the point of Jesus' story. He's saying that's what happens. Now my question is this. Do you see the kingdom of God like that? Is that the way you think of God and his kingdom? You think of Christ. Do you see the things Jesus sees? Do you look at everything in your life, and I know this is a crazy question, but do you look at every single thing in your life and think, I would joyfully give it up if it meant having Jesus and his kingdom? A successful career, the approval of your family, your friends, literally just like being cool, <laughs> like that's a big thing to give up. Would you give that up? How about having a family someday? How about having use of your limbs? I was thinking about that this day. I was like, I really want Jesus, I also want my arms, like, would I give those up? Like, that's like a really legit question, right? Like, what, what would you give up? And he's saying, Jesus, the man from heaven, is telling us that the kingdom of heaven is supremely valuable. He's saying that everything else in life pales in comparison to it. He's saying that actually selling everything you have would be a small price to pay to get it. He's saying it's worth walking away from everything else in your life to pursue it. Is this the way you view Jesus and his kingdom? It's a wild story. That's how much Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is worth. But the question is, what does it cost? What does the treasure of the kingdom cost us? How do we get the treasure Jesus is telling us about? And this is actually where the Bible and this specific story gets super interesting. Okay, now follow me on this. Because Jesus doesn't just tell simple stories. Jesus is the smartest dude who's ever lived. <laughs> like, he's way smarter than you. He's way smarter than me. He is brilliant. So every time he tells a story, he's meant, he's meaning for us to like look at this and roll it around and be like, Jesus, what are you trying to say with this? 
Because when we rightly understand what Jesus is teaching us through the story, we find out that the treasure of the kingdom, it simultaneously costs us everything and it costs us nothing at the exact same time. And you're like, that don't make sense. <laughs> I want to explain what I mean. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Right? It costs us everything. How much did it cost? Everything. All that he had. Next story, same thing. How much did it cost this man? Everything. All that he had. And so we know from this story that the only way you can receive the treasure of the kingdom is if you would gladly trade everything in your life for it. The only way to receive the treasure of the kingdom is actually if you're the kind of person that you actually treasure it most. But it isn't actually that you just have to treasure it the most, right, in some abstract way. Because this is how so much of us want the kingdom of God to work. We're like, well, I'll just tell you that I love you in my heart, Jesus, but I don't want to actually live that out. No. He says you actually do have to let go of everything in your life to take hold of this. And the best way I can describe it is a story about my dog, all right? (laughs) My dog, Arlo, okay, when Arlo was a puppy, she was really tiny. She's really big now. She's like 70 pounds and really fur. We have to shave her all the time. It's crazy. But when she was young, she was a tiny little puppy. This is before we had kids. So this was like the dog was a big deal. When we first graduated college, we got a fish, and we named it Kevin, which I don't know why, but we got this fish named Kevin, and it died within 24 hours. (laughs) It was incredibly sad. And honestly, we were like fresh out of school, and we were like, we're never going to be able to be parents. Like, we can't take care of a fish. This thing died right away. And so this fish died. We got a new fish that lasted like a year. And we were like, we're killing it right now. Like, we feel like we are ready to move up to the dog game. We got this dog, Arlo. And so we have this little dog, and we're like, we're taking it around. We're teaching her how to, like, you know, fetch, all this kind of fun stuff. And Arlo is a dog, so she loves sticks, okay? And this story is going somewhere, I promise. But Arlo loves sticks, and so I would take her on walks. I'd, I'd take her on walks, and like I'm like, this is like my kid at this point. So I, I love Arlo, our little dog. And so Arlo would go, and she would find a little stick, and she'd carry it with her the entire time. Like, she'd pick it up at the beginning of the walk, and she'd just carry this little stick the whole way. And you could tell this was like, she loved this stick. But I'm a good dad. And I love giving Arlo things that she loved. And so how once one day... We're on this walk, and I remember she had this little tiny stick, and it was a pathetic little stick. It wasn't that impressive. And I was like, I am going to rock your world, Arlo. And so I went out into the forest, and I found, like, not a stick, like a log. Like, I hauled this thing out of the forest. Arlo's just sitting there, and, like, she's sitting on the ground, her tail's wagging. She's like, I don't even know what this is. Like, I've seen sticks. Whatever this is is crazy. And I remember bringing this over to her, and I was like, Arlo, this is the greatest stick in the world. And this is what my dog did. I'm like struggling to kind of lift this thing up. My little puppy has this little stick in her mouth, and this is what she does. She sees this stick, and she literally just goes, like, she doesn't make that sound, okay? She's a dog, but she, like, opens her mouth. The stick falls out. I take this log, and I just go, boom, put it in her mouth. Fills her mouth, okay? It's a giant stick, okay? And as she's, like, following me, she's literally, like, dragging it on the ground. Like, she can't pick it up. It's like a giant log. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And that's actually why it costs you everything. The reason the treasure of the kingdom of God costs us everything is because actually it replaces everything. You see, the kingdom of God is so large, it's so weighty, it's so expansive that it actually overshadows everything. And actually what Jesus is trying to give you, this treasure he's talking to you about, the reason he's saying it costs you everything is because if you have anything in your hands at all, you will not be able to carry the weight of it. You will not be able to get your hands around it. You will simply have your life too full to actually be able to fill the weight of what God is trying to lay down on you. It's the kingdom of God. It costs us everything. But at the same time, it costs us nothing. And the reason it costs us nothing is because you can't actually buy it. This is where the story gets really interesting. Selling everything you have will not get you into the kingdom of God because it costs far more than you own. And giving up, even like, if you think religiously, you go, I'm gonna, I'll give up sex, I'll give up drinking, partying, I'm going to live this really righteous life. That will not get you into the kingdom of God either. Because in the kingdom of God, even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. What that means is your moral goodness. Like you standing up and saying, well, I'm a pretty good person. Even that does not have any standing in the God's kingdom. And so here's a question. 
if we are unable to buy the kingdom, even if we give up everything in our lives, literally even if you give up your life itself, right? You're like, well, I'll lay down my life for someone else like Jesus, and then maybe I'll get entrance in the kingdom. No. So the question is, if you can't get it, if you give up everything, how can we get the treasure Jesus Christ is telling us about? I'm serious. I want you to stop and think about that because that's a crazy thing. Like that story just took a twist because he's like, there's this crazy treasure that's worth giving up everything for. Oh, and by the way, the rest of the story of the Bible says, oh yeah, and you can't afford it. You can't have it. You can't get it. You can't buy it. Well, the answer is that someone else sold everything they had to buy it for you. This is actually what is at the center of the story of the Bible because when Jesus shares his parable, he's never merely meaning to give us a story that just teaches us how we need to live, but there's always something in the story that's trying to teach us about him. And the point of the story is not actually, hey, you need to sell everything you have in order to purchase the treasure of the kingdom. The point of the story is actually trying to help people like us rightly value the thing Jesus is talking about, but also that we would become the kind of people who value the one who purchased this kingdom for us. Because you see, Jesus isn't just trying to tell us about an upside-down kingdom. He's trying to show us that he is the upside-down king. Right? Jesus didn't ride in on a white horse. He came in on a donkey. Like, not even a donkey, like the foal of a donkey, like a tiny donkey. Like, that was what he chose to roll into town on. He didn't come and conquer the Roman Empire. Actually, he was hung up on a cross by them. And he didn't actually demand service from the world, but he actually laid down his life for the world. And in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, this is how the New Testament explains what Jesus was doing for you. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. The reason that the treasure of the kingdom of God cost you nothing is because it cost Jesus everything. Jesus is actually the person the story is about. He is the one who sold all that he had so he could buy the field and give you the treasure. He is the one who sold all that he had so he could buy the pearl of great price and give it to you who didn't even value it. Like, that's crazy. That Jesus is the whole point of this story. He's like, hey... Here's a story. It's actually about me, right? Which, by the way, that's all of Jesus' stories. <laughs> like, all of his parables are like that. You're like, oh, this is about me. And at the end, you're like, oh, it's about, it's about you, Jesus. Listen, you grew up likely having some experience of God, some experience of Jesus. Maybe you're here for the first time and you're like, I've never even heard of Jesus. Like, welcome to church. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> But one of the things that some people want to do, because they, they, we know Jesus is valuable, and so some people want to hold up a version of Jesus to you that is like this really weak-willed, anemic Jesus that costs you nothing to follow, but something about that is so uncompelling that you're like, it's not even worth that, right? It's like the, the claims of this Jesus are so small, they're almost inconsequential, but you're not even willing to perform those things because the thing it gets you is so small and pathetic. I don't want to talk to you about that Jesus because that's not the real Jesus. The real Jesus is the one who says, no, actually, this is what the treasure of heaven costs. Everything, but the thing it gives you is something that's actually worth even more than that. And I think, looking out into this crowd of people, I think that if you look inside your heart and you say, what do I really want in the world? What do I really value? What am I actually looking for? I think you're actually looking for something in this life that's worth trading everything for. I think you're actually looking for something that has enough value that's actually worth you living for and dying for and giving up your life for so that you don't just breathe your breaths watching Netflix and doing the exact stuff the world tells you to do, but you are the kind of person that says, I actually want my life to matter. I want to find meaning and purpose in this life. And so I actually think as you sit here, I think what Jesus is talking about is the thing you've been looking for your whole life. You just might be the guy wandering in the field and you don't know it. Salt Company is a pretty simple group of people. Like Roger said, we're not great. Man, we don't have our crap figured out. Honestly, if you get to know us, you'll be like, you guys are kind of screwed up. We'll be like, I know. We are. 
we're just like you. And honestly, half the time we're people who are like wandering around the field and like we bump up on the treasure of Jesus and we keep walking. That's just true. But what's happening in our lives is we are the kind of people who are saying, man, we've, we've started to see that Jesus is the thing we're looking for. We're starting to be the kind of people who are starting to say, you know what, like I've tasted the world and I've seen it has some value, but I've also come to know Jesus and there's something about him that is more compelling and more valuable than everything the world is telling me to run after. And so what I want to do is I want to invite you to join in with us. You might be someone who's like, I don't know a darn thing about this. I'm super confused by that story. I'm honestly super confused by half of what you said, but there's something about Jesus that's interesting. I want to say, join us. You might be someone who's like, I've been trying to follow Jesus when I was in high school. I couldn't find anyone who took this seriously. And I'm just really happy to find people who are taking Christ seriously. I want to say, join us. But we're a group of people that don't have anything special about us. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to take the flag of Christ and we're trying to plant it at the campus of University of Wisconsin, and we're trying to say, Jesus is awesome. He is great. And he is the treasure that you've been looking for your whole life, whether you know it or not. And Salt Company is filled with people who want to talk to you about him, want to live life with you, and want to help all of us figure out more of what he's like. So let me pray for us, and then we'll keep worshiping. Jesus, as we sit out in Central Campus, there's, it's awesome to be down here, Lord. It's, the city is alive. There's so, much, there's so many things going on. There's so many distractions. There's so many noises. There's so much going on. But Jesus, we love being down here because there's a lot of people that need to hear the name of Jesus. And so, God, I pray that even as, as we worship together that you would help us see the treasure you're talking about, that you would help us value a relationship with you in the way that we should. And God, I pray that even just as we sing songs together, that you would actually do something in our heart where you would begin to take the things in this world that seem really visible and you'd start to make the hidden kingdom of God more real to us than those things. Would you help us worship you tonight in your name? Amen. jump in i want to so my name is david um my wife my wife's name is stephanie okay stephanie is what she goes by uh she is awesome we actually met in salt company as freshmen so my story has a lot of salt dna in it uh we actually had a daughter three weeks ago named indy indy mave she's awesome she's fantastic she's beautiful we've got it we got to <laughs> thank you so much for clapping i did very little but uh my wife has 
my <laughs> wife did quite a bit. Uh, and I got a two and a half year old named Silas. And uh, we also have a dog named Arlo. Uh, that's, it's like a large dog, don't worry. Very fluffy, very cool. Um, but that's my family. And I love my family. And one of the things that's really interesting is Jesus is always talking to people about what they love. I don't know if you've noticed that. you read the Bible. He's always kind of poking in at people and saying, hey, what do you value? What does your heart go after? And, and even like specifically, he always wants to talk to us about the thing we value most. I don't know if you've ever read the words of Jesus, but that comes up often. And actually the story tonight is about that. It's about what you value. And you could value a ton of different things. Like you could be in the crowd tonight and you could say like, man, the thing that is like most valuable to me, the thing I would kind of trade most everything in my life for is like this degree. And if I can get this degree and I can get this job, then I will feel like I have made, I will justify my existence. And so like take my money, right? Take my time, take even maybe like my desire for like friend groups. I'm going to say no to that. I'm going to be in the library. I want this thing. What is that for you? Or maybe you're like some dude, you're like a freshman, you met this girl at a party and you're like, dude, she's my soulmate. Like, I would give up everything for her. Like, I'm telling you, like, I saw her and I knew she's it. What is it for you? Something in your life that you don't say, this has value to me, but something that you would actually say, this has like the most value. Like, take everything else in my life but this thing, because this is the thing I value more than anything else. The story Jesus wants to tell us tonight is about that. What do you value most? Because actually the thing, the way you answer that question is actually, I think, the thing that most defines who you are and what you're about. Not just what hobbies do you have, not just what your GPA is, not just what you're into, but actually like the thing that you're saying, I would trade everything in my life for this, I would say that is the thing that tells me the most about who you actually are. And so this is a story Jesus tells about the kingdom of heaven. And so, Matthew 13, 44 through 45, listen to this. This is Jesus. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure that's been hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered up, and then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Pretty short story, right? But then he tells another one. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is, it's like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Two simple stories, right? Same basic idea. And that's the whole text tonight. We're not going to, we're not going to like keep reading. It's just like, that's it. This is the story Jesus has given us about what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like. So what do we learn from it? Well, the first thing I think we learn is that Jesus is saying, hey, there's something you need to know about the kingdom of heaven. And the first thing is that there's something hidden about it, which is kind of interesting. It's a treasure hidden in a field, right? It's, it's a merchant who's like in search of something, right? It's not immediately obvious. And so one of the very first things that Jesus wants to teach us about the kingdom of heaven is that there's actually something about it that makes it hard to see. It makes it hard to see means it's not obvious. It's hidden. And the reason for this is because the kingdom of God is actually not what you would expect. And actually, people who study the Bible, like theologians, they have basically a way of talking about this. They call it the kind of upside-down kingdom. Like, it's upside-down, and it's upside-down because the values and the priorities of the kingdom of God, they are the complete opposite values and priorities of the world that we live in. And Jesus explains it like this, right? He says, actually, in God's kingdom, here's something that's true. In God's kingdom, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Have you ever heard Jesus say that, right? It's like a common Christian thing. But that's a crazy thing to say. Like, what's first in this world is last in the kingdom of heaven. That's a wild thing. The things that make you rich and great in this world are actually the very things that make you poor and small in God's kingdom. And so we value gold and jewels, but God uses those things to pave his streets, right? And some of us look at that and we're like, my gosh, this dude must have so much money. And it's like, no, no, no. That's probably part of it, but it's also he's mocking us, right? Like the things that we love, he's like, hey, that's my asphalt up here. We value independence. We value self-determination. But Jesus says that in order to enter the kingdom of God, you actually have to become like a little child. And where the world values status and power and prestige and wealth, 
it's actually those who are poor in spirit who are blessed in the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus is constantly taking the things of the world, he's flipping them on their heads, the things that we value and treasure, he says those opposite things are actually true. And in our upside-down world, it's actually really hard to see Jesus' right-side-up kingdom. So that's one of the reasons the kingdom of God is hidden. But the other reason in the Bible we see that the kingdom of God is hidden is because it isn't fully here yet. And this is actually interesting, because when the Bible talks about the kingdom of God... He isn't talking about a specific place or location as much as it's talking about the rule and reign of God over his creation. When the Bible talks about the kingdom, it talks about a world where God is king, where all that is wrong has been made right, where all that is broken is healed. And the Bible says that the kingdom of God is actually a place where every tear is wiped away from our eyes, where evil is no more, and where even like death, like the great enemy of the human race, has actually been defeated. It's a pretty stunning picture. And the reason the Bible says that all this is true is because, once again, the one who's seated on the throne is good. Because God is on the throne. And his good rule and reign will overturn all the evil and pain that marks our world. And actually, this is like the picture that the Bible gives us at the end of the story. Recreation. But when Jesus begins his ministry, he starts by saying something crazy. He says, actually, the kingdom of heaven, this kind of crazy vision of the future, that's actually at hand. Meaning the kingdom of God isn't just something that's in the future, it's actually something that like, is, is today, it's now, it's, it's here. Because what Jesus is doing was he was bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And so we have this future reality that's coming, and today is currently breaking into our world. Right, and you see this with the miracles of Jesus, right? I don't know if you noticed this, but like when people who had things that were broken about them were around Jesus, they weren't broken anymore, Right? People who are like, I've seen every single doctor in town, no one can fix me. They touch the edge of Jesus' robe and they're healed. People who can't walk right, like they stand up and leave for joy. Like something about Jesus was taking this future perfect, perfect world and bringing it to the present. You also have the salvation of sinners, right? This like perfect rule and reign over creation begins to take hold in individuals' hearts. People become obedient to God and his plan for them instead of continuing on our own path that actually distorts our humanity and causes us pain in the end. And so God's kingdom is coming, but it's currently breaking into our world. But what's true is that it's not here yet. And that makes it hard to see. One of the ways I describe this is it's like a storm front, right? And I've actually, it's funny, we've been talking about this a little bit, Doxa, but who's like been in like a really epic storm? Okay, raise your hand. Like really, like in the mountains in Colorado, like a, one of the, a bad one. Right, this is what happens. I remember me and my friend Joe, we were climbing um, I'm a climber, and we, we, were, we were, like, on this multi-pitch route climbing up this hill, okay? So we're, like, we're climbing up this thing. We're about 600 feet off the deck, and we start to feel this, like, really cold rush of wind. And you can't see in Colorado. You can't see over the mountains. So you don't know what's coming, and so you actually start to feel there is a storm coming. And we know that we are, like, climbing way past in the afternoon time we're supposed to be off the mountain and like if we're up there when the storm comes we are probably going to struck by lightning and probably going to die so we start climbing like very quickly and we're like we got to get out we got to get out so we get to the very top of this cliff we eventually get over and we realize that we are on like one mountain right here where this cold front is whipping through and then one mountain right to the left of us is this like incredible lightning storm that is like destroying this mountain like it's covered it's like a scene from the lord of the rings like it's literally covered in darkness and it looks like there's like fire and stuff and there's not but it's like lightning i mean it's crazy and i remember sitting there and we're like oh my gosh like we are not in that storm but we can like feel its power from a distance and that's what it's like to live in this world today we can like begin to feel some of these things of the kingdom of god breaking into our lives but it's not here yet it's still hidden the fullness is not here yet and what that means is that actually the kingdom of god this thing he's saying has value it's hidden and listen i know i'm saying that word over and over again but it's actually really important that you understand that and as jesus explains his kingdom he says it's really important that you understand that it's not something to move quickly past because you will look at the things of god and you will look at the things of this world. And you're actually doing that today, in college, like during your first week of class. You're doing that right now. You're saying things of the world and the things of God. And there are going to be many, many times where the things that the world holds out to you look way more real and powerful and valuable. And the reason is because they're not hidden. 
they aren't hard to see, right? They aren't buried in a field. They're, they're plastered all over your Instagram and your social media feeds. They're shouted at you every day by your friends, your professors, by Netflix. The kingdom of this world isn't hidden. It's actually pressed down on you from the very moment you start taking oxygen in into this world. And it's not hard to orient your life towards these things. It's actually the stream that we're all born into. It's very, very easy. But the reason Jesus tells us this story is because he's saying, actually, it would be a really problematic thing if you lived for that kingdom instead of the kingdom I'm talking to you about. Because the kingdom I want to tell you about is a kingdom that has this unique kind of value. Okay, go back to the story. Look what Jesus says. I know it's short, but listen to what he says. This is crazy. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. And it's like, that's a short story, right? And so it could be easy for us to forget about it. And so he's like, okay, again, I'll explain it another way. It's like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value goes and sells all that he had and bought it. Here's what Jesus is saying. The kingdom that he's talking about, this reality where God is God, we are his people, we are in relationship with him. He's saying that kingdom is so valuable that it's actually worth you trading everything you own to have it. That's how valuable it is. And more than that, this is interesting. What he's saying is he's saying this is actually the natural response to anyone who finds it. I mean, think about how strange the story is. Like, I don't know if you do this, but when I read the Bible, I like laugh at it a little bit because it's funny. Like, these are funny stories. Like, this is a hilarious story. A dude is walking through a field. Okay, first of all, why? Why is he walking through a field? We get no context for that whatsoever. But this is a dude who's just walking through a field. And you have to figure, like, this dude probably trips on something, right? Like, he's not looking for it. He stumbles over it. He comes back. He's probably ticked off. It's like first day of school. He's wearing his new Nike. He's like, he scuffed him up. He comes back. What the heck's going on? And he starts pulling on this thing, right? And he goes. He's like, like, just getting this thing excavated from the earth. He pulls it out, figures out what this is. And here's his response. Puts it back in the ground, covers it up get some leaves, you know, cover some sticks, like does it up right, like I don't want anyone to find this. He hightails it home. He gathers all of his things, puts them on Facebook Marketplace. You're like, how many of his things? All the things, okay? All of them. The dude liquidates his bank account. He sells his season tickets, which are probably worth less after this last weekend. But he calls mom and dad, right? And he's like, hey, I know you talked about paying for four years of rent. I need that up front. And your mom's like, are you sure? That doesn't seem like a good idea. You're like, I'm sure, mom. Give me the money. Like, I need this. I don't have much time. And you take everything you own. You put it in a large sack. Or if you're a college student, a small sack. And you liquidate it all. And this represents everything you have. It represents in the store everything that defines you. And you give it up to buy the field, buy the single pearl. And this is a really simple story. But Jesus is trying to say something powerful with it, right? Because if this actually happened, like if you came home and your roommate was doing this, you would look at them and you would conclude one of two things. First thing you'd conclude probably is, my roommate is insane. He was a random roommate. I didn't know how this was going to go. It's gone very poorly, right? Like, this is a worst case scenario like he now owns nothing he's wearing my shorts like this is awkward they've lost their mind or what you would conclude is that whatever this person just found was actually something more valuable than everything else they had either they're crazy or but actually this thing was so valuable to them it wasn't just most valuable but actually it ended up being the thing that they had always been looking for Because giving up everything you have is a massive, massive price to pay for anything. But giving up everything you have to get the thing you've been looking for your entire life is a really small price to pay to have that. Right? And every one of you in the room, I know that. If I like would dig down in your heart and I would like un-just excavate and figure out what is the thing that lies at the center of you, that you were like, I want this more than I want anything else in life. I know that if I was like, trade everything for that, you'd be like, sure, <laughs> like have it. Like if I can just have that one thing. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, 
when you understand what the kingdom of God is like and the kingdom of heaven is like, that's the natural response to seeing that. And some of you, you're in the room and you actually you grew up in church and you're like, I haven't had any experience like that at all. Like, I went to church and it was like really boring. It wasn't that profound. Like, I've read stories about Jesus and I'm kind of trying to figure out if I want anything to do with him at all. And one of the crazy things about this story is it's actually saying if that's the picture you have of Jesus, he's like, you may have been in the field, but you didn't stumble over the treasure. You may be someone who's like finding pearls, but you haven't actually found the thing Jesus is talking about yet. Because if you would, the natural response you would have is actually to sell everything you have to get a thing. This is how Paul, the Apostle Paul, talks about his life. Um, it's actually pretty amazing. This is what he says. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, meaning like just confidence in life, things that they have, I've got more, man. I was circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I know that means nothing to most of you, right? But this is like modern day rap lyrics, all right? This is like, I got it all. Like, he's just going down the list. Like, anything you want, I've got it. And this is what he says. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That's the Apostle Paul. He literally had everything in his life going for him. And when he met Jesus, he traded all of it for Christ. And this is a story Jesus is telling you. What's interesting about the story is that there's two totally different kinds of people, right? One is someone that it makes sense. They're looking for pearls. Like they, he's like, I've been looking for this my whole life. It makes sense that that person would trade everything for this. But the other person is a dude just wandering in the field, right? He wasn't looking for it. He stumbled on it. But immediately he trades everything for it. It isn't even a question. This is what happens when you see Jesus for who he is. And I mean that. This is what happens in your life when you actually see Jesus for who he is. What happens when you understand what the kingdom of God is like. It actually completely overwhelms everything in your life. That's the point of Jesus' story. He's saying that's what happens. Now my question is this. Do you see the kingdom of God like that? Is that the way you think of God and his kingdom? You think of Christ. Do you see the things Jesus sees? Do you look at everything in your life, and I know this is a crazy question, but do you look at every single thing in your life and think, I would joyfully give it up if it meant having Jesus and his kingdom? A successful career, the approval of your family, your friends, literally just like being cool, <laughs> like that's a big thing to give up. Would you give that up? How about having a family someday? How about having use of your limbs? I was thinking about that this day. I was like, I really want Jesus, I also want my arms, like, would I give those up? Like, that's like a really legit question, right? Like, what, what would you give up? And he's saying, Jesus, the man from heaven, is telling us that the kingdom of heaven is supremely valuable. He's saying that everything else in life pales in comparison to it. He's saying that actually selling everything you have would be a small price to pay to get it. He's saying it's worth walking away from everything else in your life to pursue it. Is this the way you view Jesus and his kingdom? It's a wild story. That's how much Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is worth. But the question is, what does it cost? What does the treasure of the kingdom cost us? How do we get the treasure Jesus is telling us about? And this is actually where the Bible and this specific story gets super interesting. Okay, now follow me on this. Because Jesus doesn't just tell simple stories. Jesus is the smartest dude who's ever lived. <laughs> like, he's way smarter than you. He's way smarter than me. He is brilliant. So every time he tells a story, he's, meant, he's meaning for us to, like, look at this and roll it around and be like, Jesus, what are you trying to say with this? Because when we rightly understand what Jesus is teaching us through this story, we find out that the treasure of the kingdom, it simultaneously costs us everything, and it costs us nothing at the exact same time. And you're like, that don't make sense. <laughs> I want to explain what I mean. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Right? It costs us everything. 
How much did it cost? Everything, all that he had. Next story, same thing. How much did it cost this man? Everything, all that he had. And so we know from this story that the only way you can receive the treasure of the kingdom is if you would gladly trade everything in your life for it. The only way to receive the treasure of the kingdom is actually if you're the kind of person that you actually treasure it most. But it isn't actually that you just have to treasure it the most, right, in some abstract way. Because this is how so much of us want the kingdom of God to work. We're like, well, I'll just tell you that I love you in my heart, Jesus, but I don't want to actually live that out. No. He says you actually do have to let go of everything in your life to take hold of this. And the best way I can describe it is a story about my dog, all right? (laughs) My dog, Arlo. Okay, when Arlo was a puppy, she was really tiny. She's really big now. She's like 70 pounds and really fur. We have to shave her all the time. It's crazy. But when she was young, she was a tiny little puppy. This is before we had kids. So this was like the dog was a big deal. When we first graduated college, we got a fish, and we named it Kevin, which I don't know why, but we got this fish named Kevin, and we had died within 24 hours. (laughs) It was incredibly sad. And honestly, we were like fresh out of school, and we were like, we're never going to be able to be parents. Like, we can't take care of a fish. This thing died right away. And so... This fish died. We got a new fish that lasted like a year. And we were like, we're killing it right now. Like, we feel like we are ready to move up to the dog game. We got this dog, Arlo. And so we have this little dog, and we're like, we're taking it around. We're teaching her how to, like, you know, fetch, all this kind of fun stuff. And Arlo is a dog, so she loves sticks, okay? And this story is going somewhere, I promise. But Arlo loves sticks. And so I would take her on walks. And I'd, I'd take her on walks, and like, I'm like, this is like my kid at this point. So I, I love Arlo, our little dog. And so Arlo would go and she would find a little stick and she'd carry it with her the entire time. Like she'd pick it up at the beginning of the walk and she'd just carry this little stick the whole way. And you could tell this was like, she loved this stick. But I'm a good dad. And I love giving Arlo things that she loved. And so once one day we're on this walk and I remember she had this little tiny stick and it was a pathetic little stick. It wasn't that impressive. And I was like, I am going to rock your world, Arlo. And so I went out into the forest and I found like, not a stick, like a log. Like I hauled this thing out of the forest. Arlo's just sitting there and like she's sitting on the ground, her tail's wagging. She's like, I don't even know what this is. Like I've seen sticks. Whatever this is, is crazy. And I remember bringing this over to her and I was like, Arlo, this is the greatest stick in the world. And this is what my dog did. I'm like, struggling to kind of lift this thing up. My little puppy has this little stick in her mouth, and this is what she does. She sees this stick, and she literally just goes, like, she doesn't make that sound, okay? She's a dog, but she, like, opens her mouth. The stick falls out. I take this log, and I just go, boom, put it in her mouth. Fills her mouth, okay? It's a giant stick, okay? And as she's, like, following me, she's literally, like, dragging it on the ground. Like, she can't pick it up. It's like a giant log. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And that's actually why it costs you everything. The reason the treasure of the kingdom of God costs us everything is because actually it replaces everything. You see, the kingdom of God is so large, it's so weighty, it's so expansive that it actually overshadows everything. And actually what Jesus is trying to give you, this treasure he's talking to you about, the reason he's saying it costs you everything is because if you have anything in your hands at all, you will not be able to carry the weight of it. You will not be able to get your hands around it. You will simply have your life too full to actually be able to fill the weight of what God is trying to lay down on you. It's the kingdom of God. It costs us everything. But at the same time, it costs us nothing. And the reason it costs us nothing is because you can't actually buy it. This is where the story gets really interesting. Selling everything you have will not get you into the kingdom of God. Because it costs far more than you own. And giving up, even like, if you think religiously, you go, I'll give up sex, I'll give up drinking, partying, I'm going to live this really righteous life. That will not get you into the kingdom of God either. Because in the kingdom of God, even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. What that means is your moral goodness. Like you standing up and saying, well, I'm a pretty good person. Even that does not have any standing in the God's kingdom. And so here's a question. If we are unable to buy the kingdom, even if we give up everything in our lives, Literally, even if you give up your life itself, right? You're like, well, I'll lay down my life for someone else like Jesus, and then maybe I'll get entrance in the kingdom. No. So the question is, if you can't get it, if you give up everything, how can we get the treasure Jesus Christ is telling us about? 
I'm serious. I want you to stop and think about that because that's a crazy thing. Like that story just took a twist because he's like, there's this crazy treasure that's worth giving up everything for. Oh, and by the way, the rest of the story, the Bible says, oh yeah, and you can't afford it. You can't have it. You can't get it. You can't buy it. Well, the answer is that someone else sold everything they had to buy it for you. This is actually what is at the center of the story of the Bible. Because when Jesus shares his parable, he's never merely meaning to give us a story that just teaches us how we need to live. But there's always something in the story that's trying to teach us about him. And the point of the story is not actually, hey, you need to sell everything you have in order to purchase the treasure of the kingdom. The point of the story is actually trying to help people like us rightly value the thing Jesus is talking about, but also that we would become the kind of people who value the one who purchased this kingdom for us. Because, you see, Jesus isn't just trying to tell us about an upside-down kingdom. He's trying to show us that he is the upside-down king. Right? Jesus didn't ride in on a white horse. He came in on a donkey. Like, not even a donkey, like the foal of a donkey, like a tiny donkey. Like, that was what he chose to roll into town on. He didn't come and conquer the Roman Empire. Actually, he was hung up on a cross by them. And he didn't actually demand service from the world, but he actually laid down his life for the world. And in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, this is how the New Testament explains what Jesus was doing for you. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. The reason that the treasure of the kingdom of God cost you nothing is because it cost Jesus everything. Jesus is actually the person the story is about. He is the one who sold all that he had so he could buy the field and give you the treasure. He is the one who sold all that he had so he could buy the pearl of great price and give it to you who didn't even value it. Like, that's crazy. That Jesus is the whole point of this story. He's like, hey... Here's a story. It's actually about me, right? Which, by the way, that's all of Jesus' stories. Like, all of his parables are like that. You're like, oh, this is about me. And at the end, you're like, oh, it's about, it's about you, Jesus. Listen, you grew up likely having some experience of God, some experience of Jesus. Maybe you're here for the first time and you're like, I've never even heard of Jesus. Like, welcome to church. I'm glad you're here. But one of the things that some people want to do, because they, they, we know Jesus is valuable, and so some people want to hold up a version of Jesus to you that is like this really weak-willed, anemic Jesus that costs you nothing to follow, but something about that is so uncompelling that you're like, it's not even worth that. Right? It's like the, the claims of this Jesus are so small, they're almost inconsequential, but you're not even willing to perform those things because the thing it gets you is so small and pathetic. I don't want to talk to you about that Jesus because that's not the real Jesus. The real Jesus is the one who says, no, actually, this is what the treasure of heaven costs, everything, but the thing it gives you is something that's actually worth even more than that. And I think looking out into this crowd of people, I think that if you look inside your heart and you say, what do I really want in the world? What do I really value? What am I actually looking for? I think you're actually looking for something in this life that's worth trading everything for. I think you're actually looking for something that has enough value that's actually worth you living for and dying for and giving up your life for so that you don't just breathe your breaths watching Netflix and doing the exact stuff the world tells you to do, but you are the kind of person that says, I actually want my life to matter. I want to find meaning and purpose in this life. And so I actually think as you sit here, I think what Jesus is talking about is the thing you've been looking for your whole life. You just might be the guy wandering in the field and you don't know it. Salt Company is a pretty simple group of people. Like Roger said, we're not great. Man, we don't have our crap figured out. Honestly, if you get to know us, you'll be like, you guys are kind of screwed up. And we'll be like, I know. We are. We're just like you. And honestly, half the time we're people who are like wandering around the field and like we bump up on the treasure of Jesus and we keep walking. That's just true. But what's happening in our lives is we are the kind of people who are saying, man, we've, we've started to see that Jesus is the thing we're looking for. 
we're starting to be the kind of people who are starting to say, you know what, like, I've tasted the world, and I've seen it has some value, but I've also come to know Jesus, and there's something about him that is more compelling and more valuable than everything the world is telling me to run after. And so what I want to do is I want to invite you to join in with us. You might be someone who's like, I don't know a darn thing about this. I'm super confused by that story. I'm honestly super confused by half of what you said, but there's something about Jesus that's interesting. I want to say join us. You might be someone who's like, I've been trying to follow Jesus when I was in high school. I couldn't find anyone who took this seriously. And I'm just really happy to find people who are taking Christ seriously. I want to say, join us. But we're a group of people that don't have anything special about us. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to take the flag of Christ and we're trying to plant it at the campus of University of Wisconsin. And we're trying to say, Jesus is awesome. He is great. And he is the treasure that you've been looking for your whole life, whether you know it or not. And Salt Company is filled with people who want to talk to you about him, want to live life with you, and want to help all of us figure out more of what he's like. So let me pray for us, and then we'll keep worshiping. Jesus, as we sit out in Central Campus, there's, it's awesome to be down here, Lord. It's, the city is alive. There's so, much, there's so many things going on. There's so many distractions. There's so many noises. There's so much going on. But Jesus, we love being down here because... There's a lot of people that need to hear the name of Jesus. And so, God, I pray that even as, as we worship together, that you would help us see the treasure you're talking about, that you would help us value a relationship with you in the way that we should. And, God, I pray that even just as we sing songs together, that you would actually do something in our heart where you would begin to take the things in this world that seem really visible And you'd start to make the hidden kingdom of God more real to us than those things. Would you help us worship you tonight in your name? Amen. Let's stand as we sing.